So we'll come back to the third of our lively podcasts um, celebrating International Women's Day and throughout this month we are launching a series of podcasts uh, speaking with all different female founders that have inspired our my journey along the way but also really covering off some of the challenges that we have that in future could help others. So today I am joined with two of the most inspiring women that I have met in the last year. Uh, through some of my other networks, and I'm going to let you introduce yourselves and your businesses. Well, that's a very nice introduction, isn't it? So thank you very much. Yes, for that. thank you. Well, where do we start? My name is Jane Havels from Sapia Research, and I met you probably about 18 months or so ago. And this is our second um, networking and learning experience together, and it's been fantastic. So we have a team of eight back in the office. Um, original research supporting various agencies and brands in their content creation, audience understanding, and brand research. And I'm Karen Lerner from Top Left Design, and my company is a design and marketing agency. We've been going since 2002, and I've known Charlotte for, I don't know, two years now. We met through EO, which is a peer network for founders and entrepreneurs. And how long have your businesses been going? Mine's uh, 18 years. And we've been going for about three and a half years actually, so not long. It's really interesting actually because we all own um, uh, similar size agencies Mm -hmm. um, but have been doing, we do different things, we've we've been going for a different amount of time and um, although we have different, so, so Karen and I are single founders and Jane you have uh, two, two partners. Yeah. Um, and I find that also interesting because even in the journeys you go through on the entrepreneurial journey on your own, it can uh, be quite lonely and it also can be um, amazing to not have to sign things off through other people, to be able to make those decisions and do things quickly. But when things do go wrong, uh, it's quite nice to split the pressure between a couple of you. And I found that not only in my journey of being a single female founder and I live on my own, so there is that uh, that, that constant battle, the, the freedom, but then not having other people around. How have you found that on your journeys? I think I'm with you in terms of having additional people to talk through things through and support. That's been really useful. But then maybe the challenges that that can raise sometimes is the fact that you might have three quite different opinions and three quite strong opinions because you're all equally vested. And so... Part of it is an exercise in um, cooperation, exercise and compromise sometimes, but as with running a business, there's not necessarily a right or wrong answer, and it's not necessarily based on experience. It's sometimes having that gut feel for what's the best thing to do next. So it's, it's definitely interesting. And if you, for people thinking of starting businesses or people that are in businesses thinking of having a partner, how, uh, what advice or how have you found that in your experience? Yeah, I would recommend having partners and partners with different skill sets to yourself. And I think that's possibly why it works quite nicely between the three of us. We will, Our natural focus is different to each other, so we can bring different things to the party. Being friends, though, I think is an important thing. Maybe because there's different age uh, ranges between the three of us. We don't necessarily socialise outside of work, but then that enables you to sort of keep the work and pleasure things separate. It doesn't tend to bleed, but you still have... Uh, an understanding of each other, you still have care for each other, but you know that you can walk out the office at the end of the day and go, right, I can talk to somebody else about something completely different. So I think starting a business with your best friend, I'm not sure whether I'd want to do that. I think there could be potentially too much conflict, perhaps. I used to be jealous of people who I knew who had business partners, and then I watched a couple of friends of mine split in their business and they had to sit and each choose a client out of a hat and it wasn't even the right decision for which client was meant to go with which person but that was how it ended up being and it was so sad to see that that I was glad I didn't have to go through that so having my own business just by myself has challenges in terms of it's all on me but also I'm glad I don't have to you know sign things off by somebody else and I can make my own decisions. It's, it's quite a luxury. I like that. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm the same. I've seen partnerships and businesses ripped apart. Yeah. Not having the right partners, but then also, like you, Jen, when you've got, you've now found the right partnership that 
actually having the right people in the business can help it thrive. And as we now all go on our growth and scaling journeys, for you guys, that's been um, a bit faster than saying that people not having partners in. So it's, yeah, it's interesting. Having done it now, I don't think I could do it the other way. Yeah, but it's true. I've seen the people who have business partners do grow faster and they ha because they have two senior people or more. But um, as far as the having someone to bounce things off of, having peer networks like we're part of EO, that's been, you know, that means that I don't ever feel lonely and all alone. I've got people who also run businesses that I can ask for their experiences on things. I find that fantastic because it just opens up your eyes to completely new ways of doing things and the fact that you're not the only one sort of coming across that particular issue and you could do with experience shares. I find that fantastic. Yeah, there's probably about 20 different problems that any business will have and we can just play problem bingo with all the different things that we, we pretty much come across the same ones over and over in different guises. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting actually. I remember when I joined my first networking event, um, which was back where I met you, Jane, it was Trafford Enterprise, and that was more of a um, traditional networking event for smaller businesses. It was mm -hmm. a uh, monthly dinner, and you sort of get up and you start talking about you know the people you want to be introduced, and if there was any recommendations, there was, but it wasn't that kind of BNI pressure where you had to be there that would lead every single week. Um, and that gets you so far, but then when I'd heard about and joined um, EO, um, which is an accelerated program for businesses that are um, over the 250,000 turnover with at least two employees that are interested in scaling up to the 1 million US dollars, about 750 UK. Um, and then you graduate into EO, which is an, an international network of um, businesses that are over a million pounds in turnover. Um, and there it's about the peer-to-peer -peer support, which I think we've all benefited from quite, um, quite significantly. Yeah. But it's interesting with that in terms of either having like partners in your business, partners in life, or your sort of partners in your business networks, all of which play a very different part, but all very important. What's been your kind of experiences of that over the last year or so? Partners in life versus partners in business? Yes, it's just partners in your general day-to-day -day, your general day-to-day -day life. It's almost a different world what you're walking into and in terms of running a business. I mean, I kind of feel um, I'm here by accident rather than because I wanted to start a business and I'm not a serial entrepreneur and I'm not doing m many of these exciting things that other people in the network seem to have almost grown up doing, I suppose. We weren't exposed to it. I, I was an employee first and foremost. Things changed and I had an opportunity to start a business and, and it's been great. It, it's been a great learning experience. But I think... Through that history, that means that the partner that I have at home, my husband, has only known me as an employee, and those are quite different issues to being a business owner. And it's taken him quite a while to get his head around some of the additional um, challenges, the additional conversations, and he's not necessarily in a great place to support things in terms of business practicality, but it's still really useful to have a sounding board to understand that. And I think getting him more involved with the support network, with the EO support network, I think that is a useful thing so he can understand some of the other bits and pieces that are going on. Other people have partners and spouses that have to sit there and listen to the rantings and ravings and so forth. So, different. Well, I've been, I've been accused of being a workaholic. I think I'm improving nowadays, but I think it has probably affected my personal life to an extent in the past. I feel like I'm a lot more balanced now since I've been learning from places like EO how to um, work smarter not harder um, but yeah having I think that people need to understand that you do have um, work obligations and you, sh you can't take it personally if, if somebody has to run a business and, and uh, can't always be available at every single evening oh, to well, I've got into so much trouble for not responding quickly enough to the whatsapps from the kids and bits and pieces oh. that's it between nine and five it doesn't happen very quickly. Just please don't be upset. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I chose not to have children because I felt like the business is kind of my baby and I didn't feel like I needed... To, I just didn't feel like there was a void in my life to fill. So I didn't feel like having children. And that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Still don't feel like it, so it's okay. Don't regret it. <laughs> so what are you... Uh, with the, today's climate and what's happening at the moment, how, what are your biggest challenges right now? 
Um, for me, it's when you want to start a new initiative to like if you if you know that in order to grow, you have to do start a, a new campaign or a new uh, look at things in a different angle and that that will take up a lot of time. And when you already have a huge selection of obligations and day to day tasks in order to start something different that would grow your business, it would almost be like you need another person just like you in the business with a, a full empty eight hours of time per day to work on the new initiative. Mm -hmm. So while I do get excited and thinking about new ideas, I sometimes find I don't even put the right amount of time to getting it started like I should. Yeah, and I suppose in terms of challenges, or maybe it's having the confidence to make the decisions and the decisions to, to change your mind. When it comes to employees, employing employees, we've got this great ambitious plan of how we want to grow and how quickly, and that requires more bottoms on seats to do it. But you're technically playing with somebody's livelihood. You employ them, you train them up and you have all of that on your shoulders if the business doesn't come through at the rate that you hope it does. Mm -hmm. it, it's Then there's sometimes potentially difficult decisions to make and it's how gung-ho do you start off with, as in needing the people there to, to create this great work so you can sell more versus they get it in first and then bring the bums on the seats to deliver it, that, that sort of balance. And I don't One know of the tips I was given was to have a bench. So that means that you you have some people working for you on a sort of freelance basis mm -hmm. and in a certain project you train them on how you like to do things and how you like to share files and report on tasks being done mm -hmm. and once they learn that they can much more easily slot in should you have a full-time position available for them and over time you can give them two or three projects and then eventually they can become a full-time member of staff, but if you don't have enough work for them, they can stay on the bench and just be picked cool. when, when you need them. Is there a different sort of mindset, though, in terms of people that want to do freelance and small projects versus those that want to be an employee? How, how have you managed that? Because you've done just both, haven't you? Well, we've just gone through the transition of sort of not having less freelance, less contractors, and more full-time, we're going to continue on that path. But it is true, like, our next hire, are, so we're building our virtual bench, exactly the same, and... But in between that, we have to test them. So you bring them in and you'll do like a 50-hour contract and then they'll come in. But then while they're doing that, they're building work elsewhere. And they're quite, oh, I'm doing quite well now. I like this freelance mentality. Mm. And you, there's not much you can really offer them to then get back onto that, like to convert them into full-time. Uh, you might have a great culture or workspace, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. And I think building a virtual bench and keeping in touch and trying to get the odd bits done, but... For someone to be a long-term, loyal, full-time employee, they need to be in that full-time mentality. That's been my experience recently. Um, but yeah, any learnings on how to do that, I think it's really difficult. Because Jake, you touched on it a minute ago when um, it's that uh, fear of, uh, we need to get these people in, but it's their livelihoods and it's this risk. We're constantly taking risks. Like, how do you balance that out and balance the fear out every day? Good question. I mean, I suppose part of it is looking at the cash flow and trying to make decisions based on what you've got in the, f in the future, what you've got in the bank. Um, and we're fortunate that we can make um, confident decisions on that. But I still don't feel I necessarily have my head around the numbers game as much as I ought to. So there's part of instinct as well as part of fact seeing it there. So, uh, yeah shared responsibility as well. Those decisions are not just made by me. We will sit down and we will consider them thoroughly, but also the description of the people that we want to join us. That seems to be almost more difficult than whether we can afford to pay them. It's the, what role does that person want to be now and grow into? And do you get somebody that is a T-shaped and does a bit of everything? Or do you get somebody that's absolutely focused on one thing and does it really well and does it really deep? And I suppose not knowing where your business will go in the future Sometimes you go for that whole T-shaped thing, but then there's not quite enough depth in specialist areas when, when you have those kind of projects. So that's possibly as much a decision as to what, what do we need from a person joining us long-term versus now. Yeah, I think that, um, well, I've always hired for attitude and trained the skills, and I've had my team with me a long time. I've got one person for 11 years, another 10 years, another seven years, another five years, and the last one was three years. So all of them are really trained up and they know how to run our projects. But anyone we bring in, it's very important for us to be clear on what our company values are, which we've identified, 
and it makes it so much easier even when it is somebody freelance or even looking at who to have strategic partners partnerships with to think about those values and just as long as they fulfill those values and that means that they're in line with what you where who you are and they'll work in the same work ethic cool how do you keep it fresh the ideas and bits and pieces when you say you've got people for 11 years and a long time like that given it's a creative job that Um, you're doing well there's all these external inspirations that i get by talking to other businesses and going on loads of learning days and things like that so that's where the fresh ideas come on and you know between all of us we're bringing we have a regular weekly meeting where we're mm-hmm. bringing ideas to the tables as part of our meeting to be bringing ideas. So it's ideas. their responsibility yeah. as well. Okay. Each great. of us come, we have issues that we need to solve and we brainstorm ways to solve them mm-hmm. and ideas come out of that and th- it's almost like my team are like my internal consultants mm-hmm. who know better than anyone else how to, because they understand firsthand what mm-hmm. the issues might be. Makes sense. Interesting. How much do you think that keeping someone for that long is about culture or about versus the job that they're actually doing? Um, I think it's a culture thing in in our case. Um, We're very close as a team and we're very understanding. So as long as people have the intention, if if something happens that things don't work out, as long as they're communicating with our clients and making sure the clients are have, have all their expectations managed. We're all very easygoing, you know, we, we have pretty flexible working time and people will work, let's say somebody has a day off, they'll make, this is bad and everybody else scolds them for it, but it does happen that they'll see an email that comes in that's supposed to be something that only they can do or they can do better than anyone else and easier, they'll just quickly do it. And they don't mind because they know that we would all do that for each other. I'm very supportive of each other. But you never know, at any time, one of them could leave, and you have to be okay with that because people can't stay forever if, they're not, if it's not their business, their employees. I think it's really interesting because obviously we're part of a program that is encouraging us to scale up, and Jenny went through quite a big growth period mm-hmm. last year. Yeah. We did about 67%, and we're on track. Well, our, our aim, our, our goal is to do 100% growth this year. And that's something I really struggle with, so keeping that, we're, obviously we're, we're taught like the Rockefeller habits and how to scale up by Vern Harnish, but it's, um, there's a lot of tools in there that uh, can help you create that, but it, they jar with the soft side of the culture that we're all trying to build. I wonder how you find that. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. We've just started playing with this idea of the quarterly rocks and, should we say, gamifi- gamification of targets for the whole team. The first one we've started on has been sales focused, so that's actually not such a great one for for a wider team because, yeah, and that's it. You learn once you've done the first one. It looks great putting all of these Phoebes and Joeys on the wall and writing the name up, but there is not so much that they can do to impact that. But equally, the alternative would have been to focus on certain processes, I suppose, but you need to be in a good place to know what good looks like in terms of your processes to be able to sort of set those goals. yeah, trying, trying to make it fun, I think. So although it's hard things that you're trying to achieve, they're hard numbers, they're hard tasks, trying to find a one way of, of doing it. But yeah, fingers crossed, we're almost at our stretch goal. And so we will be doing laser quests in a couple of weeks with any luck. But that kind of feels as though it's on my shoulders because it was more sales orientated. It's, but it's for the whole team. We're trying to, trying to find ways that suit the whole team. Yes, I probably will be. Yes, yes, I need to, to sort myself out on that one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, we touched on it about the quarterly goals. So we all saw that at an event that would either have been a scaling up event or one of our EO learning days. On Execution, I think. There was a guy in um, Ireland. Gene the bin man. Gene the bin man. So he's from City, the city Bins. City Bins, yeah. And they made an incredible, like their story is incredible. And if you get to see him speak, like you should always go, he's fantastic. But I do find actually I walk away from a lot of events, especially business events or marketing events, and they're amazing. You feel so inspired and you learn loads, and it's like, oh, that's, that's incredible. But I often find it quite difficult. Then how do I relate that to my business, my small business with seven people? Um, we're nowhere near that size. 
I'm always interested in it for them when when they started implementing it because it sounds like they've done yeah. it for years and they probably didn't. They probably only started when they got to like the three four million turnover mark, and we're like trying to do it at our under one million mark. So I'm just throwing that out there as well. Yeah. Well, he did kind of confess that that was his baby that he loves the whole initiatives gamification and with him being the CEO I suppose he's got lots of people he can delegate to well I I pitched that to the team this year we went on our two day um, we do team trips so we went away for a few days and two days of that were our planning for the year and I showed them the city bin man story and I showed them all the slides that he had shown us and then together we created our own quarterly theme was mainly created by my team, so mm-hmm. it wasn't really me pushing it on them. I wanted a bit more of the salesy stuff. They mm-hmm. didn't put as much of it as I'd wanted, but I thought I'll just run with it. And it's been really good. We've got a prize, uh, it's 300 pounds voucher for a spa or a day at the Soho farmhouse or whatever they want to use it for. And we've got loads of different points that we're collecting for various achievements. And one of the things that we have put in it is the scary thing of the week. So every week on a Monday, we each have to say what we want to do, the scary thing of the week. And then on a Thursday, we say whether we did it or not, and it's worth points. And that in itself has been really helpful, because I've got the scary thing of of the week for me that pushes me to follow up with a potential client, and they're doing it too. So I think that's been the the element that's most helpful for the company, whereas the rest is more personal goals. How do you find it with the the finding the right time to start implementing all the things that we're sort of taught or told you can read a business book and you can listen to podcasts and everything sounds very easy and very um and where do you start from it's a bit like a circle isn't it where at what point do you just dump into it well we uh, we run the eos system which means that we have a a set 90 minute period of time every week for our team meeting and a part of that meeting is called issue solving so whenever i have i go to a talk uh where i get inspired to try something new i put it on the issues list and we randomly, out of, say, 20 issues, we randomly pick a number. And when it's that number of the new idea, my new idea, I tell everyone what it is. And I ask, what do you think? How can mm-hmm. we implement something like this? Do your team like change? Are they the kind of people that relish something new? Um, not a, a little bit, just for a little bit of a change, but not completely. Like, from now on, your job is no longer this. You have to go and learn how to do that. I, I don't think they would like that at all. Okay, so I, I think, think they like incremental change, like me. <laughs> yeah, because I think the kind of um, the skills and the personalities we hire for because of the job that we do are very analytical and stable, and there's an element of predictability. And so to get brand new things through takes quite yeah. quite a bit of bedding in. Not that anybody shouts and screams, but it's quite a, yeah. a softly, softly that's education approach. So it's w- just pitch it to them and mm. say, what does everyone think? And then... You write down little ideas mm-hmm. that they each have, and then it feels like a co-created mm-hmm. thing rather yeah. than your idea, even though it started with you. That's how I do it. Yeah. I think sometimes I put these ideas, and everybody just looks at me blankly, yeah. going, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And so then you've got to kind of describe it and, and almost test it out before you can then put it out to the wider team to say, it will actually work. Look, I've been yeah. doing it for a couple of weeks. I think I spent quite a bit of time say, doing that. It helps when you say, look at these companies. It works for them. They're bigger and more successful than us. What we want to do is try aspire to be like them. Look what they've done. And it sort of helps to blame somebody yeah. else. Oh, well, I went yeah. to this talk and they said to do this. It's not my idea, but it was their idea and it seems like it works. That is I actually that a very a key thing, the whole, it's your idea, really. But yeah. I just <laughs> put the seeds behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I go to these events and get really inspired and really excited, and then I just come in and just basically puke it up to the entire team who have not been on the day. Who have not been. And also, I'm not bothered about what it is I've learned because it's more of a leadership or managerial mm. thing that you've got to carry on in the business. So I think there's definitely a journey for me in terms of coming out of those events and learning how to sit on it, translate it, and bring it in either bit by bit or bring it in with a framework rather than. Hey, this is amazing. You need to go and do this. Right, I'll see you tomorrow for the presentation. No. You know? Or if you, bring, if you bring any of your team one at a time to any of the events with you, you can say, you're coming along, but afterwards I need you to write an article about it or something. And that way they have to focus on absorb it. On, on, yeah. and, and, you know. I think in an ideal world that is good, but we're like a team of seven and those seven people are an expert in their area. And what I find difficult, I don't know how you've got on this, but is 
picking the right days, the right events for the team to be out on, because it is it's super important for everyone to be out and experiencing and uh, being inspired. But then I'm also constantly questioning that between the inspiration versus the cost of the time out mm -hmm. and what makes the job done. Yeah. yeah. It's not like every time I go to some event, I bring a team member. I've, I've got three overseas team members, so I wouldn't be able to bring any of them. It's two here in London, but I have brought a couple of them on various events, and they have been inspired, and that does help to get them more on board. We've kind of almost treated it a bit like a task. So as we have jobs, we have tasks, we keep up regular updates mm. on that, and everybody works to deadlines for things. So we've incorporated it in the um, personal development plans. So part of the bits and pieces that various people might need to do, it's not just skills for a job, it could be such as writing a blog or attending an event and learning and writing it down. Because mm. then if it's um, identified as a separate task that needs to be ticked off just like a project that you'd be delivering, it, it raises an importance and you're also giving them the okay to say, it's okay, this is in work time, you can do that. But you're right, in terms of a business owner, you don't want too much time doing that kind of stuff. But we fit it in, um, in amongst when it's quieter. As agencies that build content for others, mm -hmm. and all in very different ways, how do you find it uh, doing it for yourself? <laughs> it's a bit like a busman's holiday. That goes to the bottom of the list usually, doesn't it? I think I'm fortunate in the fact that there's three of us that are running the business and we're performing different roles, and so I tend to take a lead on that kind of thing. But it's not black and white. You don't know whether it's right or wrong. You just create something and hope. Whereas when you deliver a project, you know whether the client's happy or not. You know whether it's got out the door on time. You know whether it's got to budget. Whereas when you're doing content, it's less trackable. It's it's more personal. So, But yeah, I'm fortunate that maybe not my biggest skill, but I at least have time that I can try to work towards it. I try to do it quite consistently. And people who I meet in my circles always say, oh, Karen, I saw you were posting. You post loads on LinkedIn. Oh, I've seen you on Instagram. And I always feel like I'm not posting enough because it's a lot less than my recommendations. I always think I'm not as active as I should be. I'm not as consistent as I should be. But I still am currently the only one who's responsible for the content we create for my own agency. And I actually have been thinking about hiring somebody in-house to help make that a lot, you know, so that we're following the, mm -hmm. the advice we're giving clients so that it is a regular thing. So I've, I've been recently thinking that. Yeah, it's difficult. We struggle. We've gone, we went through periods where we were good or we wasn't and we did it. And then we've just, uh, and then previous years we've done it with saying maybe the most junior person, the most junior role, and that's their job and I'm the client. So it's a training development okay. whilst also doing it. And now it's just live is a client of the agency and it goes through exactly the same process of everything we That's a good idea. That's amazing. Mm. Even to the reporting, which seems a bit weird. Wow. But you all of a sudden, if we track the same way, we report the same way, it's, mm -hmm. you touch it's a valuable it's, task. It's, well, yeah, it is. In the same way you measure your clients, we, we should measure it for us. Because I remember going up to meetings and thinking, oh, I've got this amazing deck and I'm like showing them stuff, but I really shouldn't have to do that. I should just be on our website, I should just be on our social. When I'm at an event, you can't just sort of whip out the laptop and just start, you know, going through the deck. You need to be able to show them. And actually, I wasn't, I got to a stage where I was like, oh, actually, I'm not proud of our own content, so that's on me. I need to do something about it. So we went through that journey recently of making, yeah, making it, and now it's it's really great. Like all the team own it, and it's it's a lot easier. It's just kind of embedded into what we do now. Um, but it's taken it's taken a while. It's difficult. It's like a plumber's mm. And what's the most important bit to give people confidence to be able to talk about your business in the right kind of way? You're still working that out. It's it's a little crutch for a lot of people isn't it that cred stick yeah. that that we do this in three succinct words and things like that yeah i found um recently we were looking at our own conversion stages we had about six stages of our conversion and actually as we worked through it there wasn't there was about 15 it was all these different little tiny touch points because we were really focused on and i made the mistake of being really focused on the pitch deck which you know that agency world that's what it was all about it's all about the pitch deck whereas now people just don't have that attention span and they don't have that want to do it. they don't want to download it we transfer of like I don't even know what size it was because we do so much video content it was all video it was huge so it got to the point where I realised they weren't even downloading it so now we just break it down into sort into short shots and we will take a presentation but the rest of it is 
broken down into this is our process, this is our case studies, this is what we do. And I found just by breaking down our content into that bite-sized pieces, that's helping us as well. That I found people was reacting to our short email with like two paragraphs that said, follow, check out our latest mosaic on Instagram over, oh, here's a download of a deck that took me like three days to build. And actually the minute email took, got a better response than the three day pitch email. So yeah, the whole content journey is just ever, ever evolving. Indeed. With Evolution, I'm going to quickly touch on um, recruiting and managing millennials because it is a top topic in all of our business networks, all of our WhatsApp groups, all the time. There's lots of jokes on it, and it's. Um, I'm interested to hear your experiences. Well, I'm almost looking at you, going, "Are you a millennial?" Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at you in the same way. On the very very fast oh, I think my, my team are millennials but now they're they're Z. born in 85 so that means they're like you know on the top they're not that young anymore um, they're fully formed adults um, so what is the next level down is Gen Z Gen Z I don't, well what I have found because I had 18 years of, I've hired so many people and so many young people what I found was frustrating was that they hadn't learned how to write an email so I had to teach them how to write an email and properly space out sentences and paragraphs and correctly sign it off and write good sentences and be succinct and not rambly but also you know I- explain things properly and use bullet points and subheadings and all those things so I've I put a lot of time and effort into that with my team who have been with me for such a long time so they're amazing at writing emails but anyone new who comes in it's like uh, starting all over again with that and it's just because they're just used to text messaging or whatever and they don't usually write emails but I think it's a very important skill to write a good email if you're going to write an email don't waste people's time with without the right information but also don't overdo it with how much with too much information and it's quite interesting thing the formality or informality of some of the the emails and so forth yeah. I get copied on emails from quite a lot of the team and you have the different personal styles and I think the way that young boys talk to each other on email is quite different to the way that girls and boys would talk or what have you. This word mate keeps being used a lot. That's not an awful word, that's not derogatory. But nobody would ever use that word to me and nobody, none of them would ever use it to any of the girls in the office or on the team as well. So I, I don't know what the etiquette is in terms of the words used, but they have a great relationship. You can see that this is a great email, there's a great conversation going on, but it's quite a different style to that which I would write. Casual is fine as long as it's the you know it's either confirming something mm-hmm. that needs to be confirmed, it's friendly, and it gives the right amount of information. I guess it, it depends. I remember one time there was a guy I worked at another company before I started my own business. There was a guy who worked as a project manager on the same project as me, and he once wrote an email to a client from a big telecoms company, and he wrote the sentence, "I've bunged that on the server, love." And she got so annoyed and offended that she, we kind of had to take him off the project and, that, and then it was just me working on the project management of the project. But that was not appropriate for her. Yeah, I it's knowing who you're speaking server, to. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you overcome that? Because that, that's an interesting conversation. That, that person that wrote it, that would be like, well, I have, that's what I've done. Why is that, <laughs> you know, why is that an issue? Like, okay, yes, no, no, that is true. And it's how far do you have to go into, like, your tone of voice, your brand guidelines, your handbook, your culture deck, how far do you have to go to point out actually common sense has to Yeah. Well, we've, we've basically drilled it into people that we have a specific style. And we almost write, we say, write in a high squeaky voice. Dear client, I've been working on these changes for you. Please see, and then you include a link all the time. These are the questions we have, and then you list the things you still have questions for. And these are like this is like the rules of how we write our emails. We update the client. We always include a link, even if they've got a link from a previous email. They always have an up-to-date link so that they don't have to dig around. And we always do as much as we can first before asking questions so that we show that we've made an effort in what we can do. And we're very clear with that. That's our house style, right? In a high squeaky voice. Which obviously they don't read it in a high squeaky voice, but it's how we know we're going to be polite and concise and thorough and clear. And that's our house style of emails. (laughs) Interesting. 
food for millennials is something that we seem to spend quite a bit of money on. <laughs> Not a problem, but um, it didn't happen when I started work. I know we're going back a long time now, but that seems to be maybe a different, if it's the first job from uni and you've got all of your food and everything in the cupboard and part of the kitchen, that that then is expected as the norm. You work in one place like that and then you expect that to happen everywhere else as well. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the big, the top five tech world, there's decent food and lunches put on all the time. In fact, you could go there from eight till eight and one of those big offices would be fed and water and be looked after and not even have to think about it. But there's that sort of culture of keeping everyone in, mm. isn't it? It's such a... Mm -hmm. It's very different. And I suppose in this, and that's really difficult, isn't it? Like attracting talent, attracting the right team is all of those things that you want to be able to do but you can't compete with the bigger companies. How do you guys deal with that? Whenever I've put up a job ad, I've had a lot of responses. I think because I write, I, I write a full, uh, what I want in terms of attitude and personality before I write the skills that I'm looking for. I think people are attracted to that. They like the idea of working for a company that's looking for that. And because we usually offer a lot of training. So the other thing that I've found is whenever I have an intern or a new member of staff, I get them to write an article on our blog about what I learned in my first week or three things that I know now that I've worked here for three months or whatever it is. And there's so many of those on our blog now, which are tagged and mm -hmm. linking to each other, that we get a lot of people applying because of that, because they've heard. And yes. the same university will get repeat applications from various universities that we've hired a few people from in terms of work experience yes. or interest. So your employee value proposition. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I think we've been fortunate we've got better at it. And I think employing similar techniques to you in terms of the what we want in terms of values and personality being almost the more important thing than the skills. Mm. because there are a lot of good skills out there. And we've ended up with some fantastic people in the last couple of years. It is, yeah, it's getting better and better for us. We're very lucky. Um, what do you think was the change? What have you done differently? How have you got that? You can see that even when you put it up there, like there's a, there's a real change in the talent you're getting. So hmm. differently? I think potentially being fussier. So rather than thinking, oh my goodness, we're not that good, why would anybody want to work for us, we'll just sort of, are the first food through the door. Now it's, no, actually, we're actually quite good, we can afford to be picky and get taking more time, so not necessarily feeling you need to make that decision there and then, but leaving it for a little bit longer. Um, Is that just something that's come with time, or do you feel more confident in, as partners, as your selection? Because there's, there's, there's obviously a there's chat all the time, and there's business owners having this imposter syndrome, and yeah, I think you're right. It's gaining confidence through knowing that what you've done beforehand needed tweaking or it worked very well um, and feeling more comfortable in the role. We've only been going three and a half years. Um, so it's been a quick learning curve. Um, and it's been great listening to some sharing of advice as well in terms of it doesn't have to be employment forever. The whole exit strategy of those that aren't working, having the confidence to do that if it isn't great, that almost gives you the permission to take that riskier jump. Shall we go for it? Well, we've actually got quite a good way of polite, considered way of exiting people if it doesn't work. And then you feel it's respect on both sides and it's been easier to make a decision perhaps. But yeah, confidence, I think a lot of it is confidence. And I suppose that exudes as well, doesn't it? What you write and the people going through the door. We're offering a nicer experience, I think, than big companies where you're just one person amongst a huge sea of people. When you work for a smaller business, you're more important. You learn a wider mm -hmm. variety of skills because you have to, everybody kind of pitches in. And you're, I think it's a nice environment to work in a smaller business. I think it's bet better than a big company. You certainly have I impact. feel like that. But yeah, you I've certainly only, have impact. You know, I worked for a small company. Mm -hmm. The biggest it grew was 70 people, but it started at 13 when I was there. I was there for the three years and it grew quite a lot, but it was never a huge corporate. And then I started my own business. So I've never actually worked for a big corporate. I don't have that experience. It's, it's really interesting, the changes of how things happen. I remember my agency experience has always been like, you know, the business happens in the bar and the conversion happens at the pitches or vice versa. So you do the pitch, the conversion happens in the bar. Now it's like the uh, 
a relationship builds at a running club or a spa or something healthy and the deal is done on WhatsApp but it's a total change in the, the way that we work and it's less formal there's still the, and maybe that's just the way things are going or it's just a trend and I'm just throwing it out there to see your views on how things have changed. Yeah, people tell me, oh, when you go to that event, make sure you get some business. And I say, well, I'll meet people. I'm not going to get business from meeting people. I'm going to make new contacts. And maybe down the line, business comes. But I would never go, oh, I'm going to go to this event and pick up business. Because it's the first time you meet someone is just the beginning. You have, if you want to get business, you've got to go to the people you know quite well and you know, see whether there's anything you can suggest to them that would be useful to them or... Mm -hmm set up a meeting that you, where you know that they could use your help or you might know someone else that would be able to help them. And I, yeah, I think it's that being useful, being yeah. fun. You don't want to be the guy in the party that just talks about yourself yeah. and that isn't relevant to anybody else. You want to understand what is relevant to somebody before you start selling. And that word selling actually feels like a bit of a dirty word at times as well, isn't it? It should more be helping each other, yeah. and offering the right kind of things. We have a thing at, at my company called Hug a Client. And every month we have a list of people that we may have to in, get in touch with because they have to renew their hosting or something. And we look at their websites and their marketing. And we, when we're writing to them about renewing their hosting, we also say, also the team have been looking at your website and we've noticed that this needs to be updated and perhaps you might need to add this because that's quite good nowadays. Would you like us to work on a quote for you? And that usually, you know, one or two in ten will convert into somebody wanting something from us. Excellent. And it shows them that we care, we're looking at their stuff, we're not just forgetting about them. So we do that as a regular thing. Mm. How do you find the time to go to the bar, uh, so the spa on the gym with all of these clients to develop the relationships there? <laughs> just offer it as an alternative. Uh, so not drinking with me anymore. <laughs> yeah, drinking is... Yeah. I've just started oh, drinking more. I'll go with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, mean, I think there's, there's there's still a lot of social in um, there is still a lot of social in business and it's not that it, it's completely gone. But everyone is very everyone is very health conscious and they have got so much going on that they don't want to be out every night of the week to be hungover. They want alternatives. So I've I've actually just felt by jumping on that, and hey, rather than us going out and getting drinks, why don't we go and get a pedicure and have a chat over you know, one class rather than... I've also gone on running dates with, with people who I meet. So instead of meeting at a, you know, at a coffee shop, we'll go running in the morning together. And it's as long as you get time to speak to them. I've done that a few times. Oh, wow. Well. Mm -hmm. It's clever because then you're doubling up on other things yeah. that you would have to do anyway that just gets out right. of the way. That whole time management as in uh, a, a, having a growing business is a daily battle. I mean, a daily battle. I often hear everyone is saying... So it, it sounds like it's with their Instagram life sounds very perfect they're up at five they do their meditation they do yoga they have a run they do everything think it's so unrealistic and the expectations we're setting for people starting their own businesses are unrealistic how have you found that what do you what's your morning routine <laughs> i think morning routine is a really important thing and i got rather stressed recently when my daughter was learning to drive and that ruined my morning routine because it meant that so many more people had to be up in the house in the morning in order to drive to the station um, but yeah, it's getting in there or doing things in that quiet time before other people get into the office, that thinking time, that considered bits and pieces before the emails just come flooding through. But I would say probably that first thing in the morning for me is the most important because the rest of the day just extends, doesn't it? Yeah, I do, I do my exercise in the morning. If I don't do it in the morning, it won't happen. And I've started to make it so that I don't have any meetings or appointments if I can until 10.30 in the morning to give oh, wow. myself enough time to do everything else health-wise mm -hmm. before I start working. And I also set up meetings with potential clients or clients in the evening quite often. So I'll do a dinner or drinks with the clients after work so that it doesn't interrupt my working day as much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I found that events in the evening is easier yeah. than the whole day. There are some events that you just can't avoid, but in future I probably just won't even book them easier to have the evenings. Then I understand for some it's easy because of kids and family and whatnot. It's a total balance. Um, 
but for, with that, it, it, it's how do you find how do you find the balance? Because the growth, the length of time you've been in business, these growth that you have had in three and a half years, uh, both come with very different challenges. So how do you keep sane and balanced? Talking to people like you guys, I would say that's probably one of the most important things that things don't actually seem such a big deal because everybody else is going mm-hmm. through the same things um, and being given practical tips and advice like we've just done today in terms of the, the rocks and things like that I kind of almost need a regular fix of speaking to other people in business I think because friends are great family are great and all the rest of it but that practical solution is not always quite as easy to get perhaps but yeah I'm very lucky I have a patient person at home that listens to me go regularly as well I, I find that as well. I think the other week I had an issue and I spoke to Charlotte about it and she calmed me down and I felt a lot better about it. I find in ter- terms of sanity, what sometimes keeps me sane is just having a, just sitting down and getting through a list of tasks makes you feel like you're getting something useful done and actually can put you back on track just to feel, if you're feeling like upset about something, you can just go through a list of tasks and be productive. And you feel at least you've done something with your life that day instead of just being upset about whatever it is that's upsetting you. Mm-hmm. So strangely, work can keep me sane. I work. And what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the challenges that interrupt your balance? Um, for me, if, if there's anything with one of my staff members, if they are stressed out, I get stressed out. It's a lot better. It's been worse in the past. Lately, it's it's not so bad, but I feel like really, you know, worried about them more than anything else, and and it does hold me back. I've had that a lot, where what I should be doing is striving forward and growing the business and you know, schmoozing and all that stuff. But if I'm worried about one of my staff members, I'll be more thinking about them than anything else, and that's what keeps me up. Well, that's very kind. Yes. I'm rolling my eyes, you can't tell. <laughs> <laughs> I probably get more stressed about not achieving enough. You know, you're talking about lists. You've got ten things on your list, and I've only done six out of those ten, and tomorrow another four are going to come on. But I probably worry about as much non-work things as work things, which then kind of puts the work into perspective. Mm-hmm. We're trying to move house at the moment, well, and that is proving to be a whole different ball game compared to what we thought it was going to be like this time last year. So... You just kept awake by a variety of things. Yeah, because I suppose that's such a big project that you can't even think about that until after six, and then you're exhausted. And and the rest of the people that will be working on it have all finished their working day. So you're right, quite a bit of that happens in the evenings or the weekends when people are not there to answer questions. And that's when you think, it's not moving quick enough. So actually, looking at the business, it's a lot easier to move that forward than it is some of the stuff in Europe non-working life I think people are afraid to delegate you should really have people in your life to help with anything home related or practical so whether it's you buy a few hours from a virtual assistant or you hire a cleaner you get your cleaner to do additional work for you to take it off because you know you need to be doing the high level things and and uh, getting help, there's nothing wrong with that, even if it is just for a few extra hours. Yeah, I suppose I do have quite a bit of help at home. I'm not the only person managing the project. But I suppose um, when you've come up with ideas in the evening as to what to do, you can't actually action there and then. You've got mm. to wait till the next day. You've got to wait till Monday. And I think it's potentially that part. So before we started this series, I started talking with people on my team and other women that sort of wanted to start their own businesses. and. I said to them, you know, if you're going to take anything away from these podcasts that you listen to, like what type of things do you want to hear about? And a couple of the things that came up were around how how do we set goals? So if we're setting these high-level goals of where we want to be and this is what our business is going to do and this is our culture, how do we actually do that? Um, so I'm interested. Oh, well, we all know about spe- specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-based goals, smart goals. Mm-hmm. And if you just follow that, that already makes things much more concrete. So by the end of April, I will have phoned 
six new people who fulfill the following criteria. That's very specific, measurable, realistic, achievable, yeah. and time-based. Whereas a lot of people just go sell more or something, mm -hmm. you know, increase business. That's not a real goal. So I find that having a smart goal makes a big difference. I think the I think they kind of understand that. I think it's important that the goals are smart by the time we get there. I think what their question was is how did you set it? Why why do you need to call six people? Probably something to do with the sales. So what is the sales mm. target? Oh, but why is the sales target at that point? It's actually much higher up. They're kind of pushing. Okay, so we've said that we want to do a hundred percent growth target. Why have I said that? Mm. But you've got a big growth target as well. So it's what. But why have we done that? But it's all, yeah, it's almost the end goal. What is, are you thinking of an exit strategy? What are you thinking? Is this business going to be a forever thing? Is it something that's a lifestyle thing? Or is it something that's for a set period of time that you can achieve what you feel is necessary to then move on and do something else? Whether it's leave a legacy, whether it's sell it on someone else, whether it's create a fantastic environment, whatever it is. But it's almost what, on that time period, are you looking to achieve? And then you've got, those drop-dead dates almost as to why you need to call people, why it needs to grow. But at the end of the day, you're kind of the boss. If it doesn't happen, you shouldn't be so hard on yourself. And I think sometimes we forget, we beat ourselves up about trying to achieve all these fantastic things. But if we don't have shareholders, it's not such an issue really. It's more of a personal pride thing, I think. Mm, definitely. So um, how, do you set your, how did you start by setting your 2020 goals? And I assume both of you have a five-year plan. Mm, well, we do, but we change it a lot. Um, I think we, we choose a number. I work with my team. I choose a number that we want to achieve in terms of our turnover and our profit. And then we work backwards from there and say, well, how many of each type of service do we want to sell? And then in order to sell that type of service or to... We also start with what we know we're going to definitely have. So we already have certain clients on retainer and certain income that's unless something goes wrong will be coming in so we have the in-between number that we need to work on and um, so a lot of the goals are money-based mm -hmm. but we then have a, our, our three-year plan not a five-year plan has to do with also the life we want to live so our why is you know we are going to be able to take more team trips we will be able to have upgraded equipment for everybody uh, everyone will be able to have whatever it is in their life as a result of the fact we're making more money, that sort of thing. So the why kind of in inspires what our goals are, how we're going to feel at the end. Mm. And I suppose partly mine is driven by age and life stage. I don't necessarily want to be working forever. And also setting something rather audacious because, well if you don't do it now when will you do it and it's probably not something my younger self would have expected myself to do so I thought right five and five let's go for it because it felt crazy it still is crazy but we're actually managing to find ways of achieving that and that's what's been quite surprising having that high level goal not knowing your route to get there but actually just by having something further away you do find that you adapt things and then bit by bit you're eating that elephant and you're achieving what, what you're trying to achieve but it's that having the end in mind, I think, and the why you want to do it. Amazing. So we are often in part of the area, we're taught the Rockefeller habits, and for you and the, or for you when you've just been set all of these new tasks, we've all done a full year now, so we know the full programme. Mm -hmm. What are the top three things you have taken and implemented in your business that has made up the biggest change? Regular meetings. That sort of, we, we, yeah, we don't necessarily do it daily. We've, we've had to find out the rhythm that works for us, but that has definitely helped because you spot problems quicker, you talk about things quicker, you make decisions quicker. That is, we're referring to the, uh, the meeting rhythm in mm -hmm. the Rockefeller Habits. Yeah, and those, we have those on two levels, one being project issues, project ones that happen very regularly, and the other being sort of the, the director's meetings in terms of the, the bigger picture stuff. Um, didn't feel easy at the beginning, but it's absolutely the best thing that's that's the the speed with which we're doing things, yeah. Uh, for us also, the we don't do a daily huddle, but we do twice a week huddle-style check-ins, which we use Slack for. And we have created our own headlines in each case, 
which is really good for keeping us connected because we're a remote team. And the other thing we've been doing more of is we have more subscription type payments. So we have a, a product where we get monthly retainers from clients. And that means that at the beginning of the month, instead of it being, I don't know what money we'll make this month, I have some definite income. It's not enough, but at least it's something. And it means that it's not such a huge, insurmountable, scary thing to make it to the end of the month and cover our overheads. It's just a little bit scary, and it's getting better as, as that grows. That's on my to-do list. Yeah. That whole subscription. Yeah. Customer-funded business. Yeah. And we've just done that, actually. So we start, we changed from a... Well, not fully, but we're changing from a service business to a product-based business. And one of those products is a subscription base, but it's also training our clients in what we do. Okay, yeah. About kind of continuing as our values of being positive disruptors and looking at how do we um, help our clients to grow and become better and stronger so that we do that with them and we can just be brave together. So I think, yeah, the subscription-based business and productising the business was really great. I think for me it was the one-page vision summary and actually finally having our values, brand promise, our guarantee, our three-year plan, our BHAG, and our next quarterly rocks all in one place was probably one of the biggest changes and it's taken an entire year of the programme to get to that point. Um, I also really liked in uh, the Rockefeller Habits we have the uh, top grading, it's about checking whether you would rehire every single one of your staff members again and just making sure that you've got the right people in the right seats um, and that was a tool that I think is great for any growing business, just constantly reviewing that. Mm-hmm. I like the Rockefeller habits, though, where you, you, they're broken down into 10 different areas, aren't they? And you've got a bit of a tick list and you can score yourself. Yeah. We're finding that really useful to do that once a quarter. So each time we have our quarterly meeting, we will fill in, in effect, the questionnaire beforehand. And that's been interesting to see where we've improved each time and how the score is changing. And I think that's, that's given us confidence that we are moving in the right direction as well. And I think sometimes you need that actually checking against and having that gratitude of what you have achieved because so often like, we're constantly sitting on what's the next thing, what's the next thing, or we missed that, or we've got to do that. Without celebrating. Yeah. No celebration. Or actually just going, oh, we did quite a bit, didn't we? Oh, that was good. Yeah. Um, and so I think we're naturally quite hard on ourselves, so it's quite difficult to often do. How do you guys find the time to do that? The, the reflect upon what we've done well. I think because we're trying to measure things more in terms of financials, in terms of um, contacts and so on and so forth, if we've got a target and we've reached it, then it's permission to, to be pleased about it almost, rather than just think tomorrow's going to be difficult, we don't know what's around the corner, at least putting something in the sand to say, no, okay, each quarter we're going to go out and we're going to celebrate this. Mm-hmm. And the type of celebration, the amount of money you might spend on it and the extravagance being depending on, on what we've achieved, but achieved as a team. Well, we, I find we don't spend enough time, but we do have our quarterly meetings as a team where we're reviewing all of those things and it reminds us where we are in our weekly meetings we look at a scorecard of different numbers mm. that are all based on the overall goals of the company and the things we need to measure so we're looking at that every single week mm-hmm. it's uh, red or green numbers depending on whether we're on track with those numbers or not so those help one thing we spoke about in our last podcast was around tips and tips experience shares software reading materials, things that we've done maybe in the last year that's really made an impact on us personally or just the growth of our companies. Um, Actually, they're always so different, so I always like to kind of end on this note. Well, we use Trello as a project management tool. Each of the team has their own Trello board and any new, any client, they get, it gets a card. And then whenever we have a task related to any client, we go into that card and add a new task within there and move it to their to-do column so it's to-do doing for team to check and done and that really keeps track of everybody what everyone's doing at all times so it's fully transparent and the other the other tip is that scary thing for the week thing that we're all talking about between each other every Monday we we say what's the scary thing we're going to do this week and it forces us to be open about what we want to do and what we've been procrastinating about that's been really helpful, even though we've just started doing that in the last couple of months. And maybe I'm talking personally rather than the business as such, but um, more reading, spending more time reading these sort of, you might call them self-help or business books or so forth, but spending more time 
even if it is the succinct version, the, 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 the short versions rather than the long one. I find that's been great for opening up minds and giving confidence and so forth. You are badass, I think was it Jen? Um, Sincero, I think that was one of the ones I think just as we were going through a big change in the business probably about a year or so ago, I read that and there was lots of those aha moments and a lot of it was just self-confidence. A lot of it came down to and what I did, yeah. I think that was great. We'll have to organise a spa day where we each bring a business book and we read it together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this has been a really uh, amazing podcast today. Um, I hope other people are inspired and can take learnings from some of the things we've done. I'd like to thank Jane and Karen for joining me. And hopefully you've got as much out of this today as I have. It's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much. I feel honoured to be invited. It. Thanks so much.